0: Let's pray once more. Oh God, let the meditations of our hearts now, let the thoughts of our minds be pleasing in your sight. Let your word dwell richly within us. Make it clear to us. Make it clear to us and do a spiritual work now. Do a work now that is deeper in us, then the level of our knowledge, the level of our wisdom, do something that which only you can do by your Spirit now, I pray. I'm just a person, and I'm going to stand and I'm going to speak words. I'm going to speak words of an event that happened long ago, and then what we're hoping for now is that you would do nothing less than raise the dead. And make us more into your glorious image. This is the utter foolishness that we are engaging in now. The foolishness that is your wisdom. The wisdom that is greater than men. So let your wisdom run amongst us now. Let it do the deepest of works, we ask. For the sake of your name, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, Paul commands the church in Corinth in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1 to agree, to say the same things. Um, newsflash, did you know that when the Bible commands us to do things, we are to do them? <laughs> or to put it another way, did you know that when God commands us to do something, He never commands us to do something that is impossible to do? Amen. He actually expects us to do it. Um, that is, to agree, to say the same things, to have the same discernment, to have the same judgment about any number of things. To say the same thing, yes, us, the church, the church. But as I said last week, that the church has lived for so long with the notion that, well, if I can't agree, then I'll break off and form another frozen chosen over there, over there. And that's how we will gain agreement. You never, you never hear Paul say that in the Scriptures. You never hear Paul say, hey, you crazy Corinthians, go split off and make another church following Apollos, and you, the first church of Paul, and you, the second Baptist church of, of uh, Jesus. No, no, no. Paul expects us to come together, to unite, to say the same things. Well, in order to do this, what Paul does in chapter 1, the rest of chapter 1 is he takes a great big sharp hatchet to the tree that causes, that keeps us from actually accomplishing this. That is our pride. Takes a great big shiny hatchet to that tree And he does so by making this startling claim that we began to talk about last week, we'll continue to talk about this week, that our entire salvation was not founded on wisdom or knowledge, not man's wisdom or knowledge. Not a wisdom or knowledge, therefore, that we can grasp by means of our wisdom or knowledge. But it was based on What he says is the foolishness of God, which is the wisdom of God, but foolishness to men. So so once we understand the foolishness of God, then our bloated pride will lose all of its noxious air, and then finally, finally we'll be free, We'll, we'll begin to want to do the hard work that it takes to achieve the unity that he's commanding us. So today my aim is to make Paul's argument clear, and then secondly to apply his point, to begin to apply his point to our life together. As I said before, God intentionally designed the gospel to be foolish to mankind. Yes, he did. That is, by foolish I mean implausible. Implausible by the standards of humankind's wisdom and knowledge. So, I'm, I'm going to walk through verses 18 through the end of the chapter, but here's how I summarize the first part verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to continue doing this throughout 1 Corinthians. Paul, um, Paul does not speak in pithy quotes, Paul speaks in arguments. He does not speak in dots, he speaks in lines lines of argumentation. So as we go through his lines of argumentation, I'm going to stop and break down the different sections and tell you what I think is a good summary of each, of each section. So here's a good, what I think is a good summary of verses 18 through 25. God, in his superior wisdom, chose, intentionally chose, to accomplish salvation in a foolish and weak way, to destroy human wisdom and confound human intelligence. I'll say it again god in his superior wisdom chose to accomplish salvation in a foolish and weak way to destroy human wisdom and confound human intelligence so you've you've certainly seen this starting with yourself before you were a christian and in others who are not christians or as paul puts it here those who are perishing verse 18 that they find the message of the cross foolish and weak implausible Only something for those who are too weak of mind to think differently. A crutch. But you and I, Christian, we we only became Christians, Paul is saying, because somehow we no longer found it foolish. We originally did, but then for some reason we found it to be something else, the very power of God for salvation. This message. Well, in a moment we'll see how this happened, but first Paul will give us three reasons for why God did it this way. Verse 19, first, because God had always said, this is how he would do it. Paul then quotes from the the prophet Isaiah, chapter 29, written long before, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish." And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. And when you think about it, the history of God's people bears this out. Thus, verse 20, Paul casts his eye across all that God has done in Christ. And he asks, Where are the great debaters or the wise men? Where are they? For Israel was the smallest and weakest of nations. Their greatest king, David, was the weakest of Jesse's sons and probably the illegitimate black sheep of the family. And when God really wanted to make his point with them, he did not send the Israelites a debater or someone to write a great big complicated book. He sent the Babylonians. And then he sent the wild preacher, John the Baptist, eating honey and wearing animal skins and living in the wilderness. And then he sent Jesus, a tradesman from backwoods Galilee, and in the end, the only sign that Jesus would give the Jews was that of Jonah, a silly Sunday school story. And oh yeah, he and his followers were mostly uneducated country bumpkin fishermen who smelled like the bottom of the delta. And they were to go out and they were to turn the world upside down. They were to turn the world. They, were to, they would eventually undermine the very Roman Empire how? Did they, did they go to Yale or Harvard? No, they were equipped by simply being with Jesus. <laughs> foolish. Foolish. And they were to do it not by creating great political movements, but foolish. By proclaiming a message. Two words, Christ crucified. And, and that'll undercut the whole Roman Empire. Foolish. Even Paul himself wasn't conquered by theological argument, by great wisdom or knowledge, but by God powerfully blinding him and speaking to him on the Damascus Road. So Paul scans across the wise and powerful work of God and asks, where is Christopher Hitchens or Jordan Peterson in the whole thing? Nowhere to be found. So this leads us to the second reason God uses the foolish means, these foolish means to save, because verse 21, left to ourselves, we, we only use our wisdom and our knowledge, we idolatrous human beings, we only use that to exalt ourselves. We, it's, it is in our very nature to keep trying to build the Tower of Babel again and again, to try to build our way to heaven by our own wisdom and our own knowledge without God. That's what we do with wisdom and knowledge. We dig a bigger, a bigger grave for ourselves. So then why would God reinforce that? <laughs> why, why would God go down that path? Why would God reinforce the wisdom and the knowledge that we take and make about ourselves? So God constructed the way to him by the exact opposite way that human pride loves to go, not by means of human wisdom or knowledge. You cannot get to Christ. You cannot get to God through Christ via a degree at Stanford. Amen. Nor at whatever, let's say, Hillsdale College either. Nope. No, he intentionally chose a much more foolish means, the simple act of one person preaching or proclaiming this message, Christ Christ crucified. Thus, those who are saved are not, in the end, those who can, you know, think or reason their way through it, but, end of verse 21, those who believe, believe. Salvation comes through faith alone in the news about Christ crucified, that news proclaimed, preached, simply proclaimed. Proclaimed. This shuts down all forms of human wisdom and knowledge. Verse 22, the Jews wanted the wanted a sign and it wasn't enough, while the Greeks or the non-Jews, they all want wisdom. But the, the foolish, weak way that God chose to reveal the gospel is, verse 23, through the proclaiming of this message that is, that is so foolishly simple, as I said before, it can be summarized by two words, Christ crucified. Which to the Jews is a stumbling block, Paul says, and to the Greeks utter foolishness, which... It might be, someone mentioned this to me last week, it might be when Paul writes this, he's thinking about the sign that they put over Jesus on the cross. What did the sign say? Jesus, King of the Jews. And how did the Jews respond to that? They took offense, which is what Paul means by a stumbling block. They took offense to it. And how did the Greeks think about it? They thought it was a total joke. Ha ha. All of that by God's intentional Design. The cross was not God's plan B. The sign over Jesus was not God's plan B. It was by God's intentional design. So, who can see then this foolishness for what it is? Who can see it? The the power of God and the wisdom of God on display. While, while one side of humanity is taking offense at it and the other side is laughing at it, well, who who is left then? No one. Who, who can see this? Only those, verse 24, who are called by God. Only those are given a new heart and new eyes to see with the, with the new eyes of their heart what's really happening here, the wisdom and the power of God on display. Four, Verse 25, and this is the third reason God does it this way, is that his wisdom is above all of man's wisdom. He is God. He's above us. Therefore, his wisdom is above us. Thus, even the, quote, foolishness of God hanging on a cross with a sign that says, here lies your king, is wiser than the wisdom of men. And the weakness of God laying dead in a cold grave is more powerful than human strength, for human strength eventually dies and it stays in the grave. But God's weakness did not. So, we must move on to the next paragraph, because here, Paul then takes this theology and he brings it back around and he aims it at us. So to summarize the next paragraph, verses 26 through 31, I summarize it this way. We Christians, the objects of his sovereign choice, are part of God's foolish and weak gospel packaging. We Christians, the objects of his sovereign choice, are part of God's foolish and weak gospel packaging. So Paul then takes that step from verse 25 to verse 26, and he spins to us and he says, So brothers, consider your calling, consider yourselves, consider who you were, consider that it was you who was called to see the cross as not foolishness, but wisdom and power. Consider that. Think about that for a second. Scan your own eyes across the parking lot of the church and across countless churches throughout human history. There's not many BMW XMs parked in church parking lots, The XM costs (laughs) $168,000. Not not many of you were wise, powerful, or noble by the world's standards. Have you ever noticed that? And it's been that way throughout church history. Have you noticed that? This has always been the case. No, to to complete the foolish wrapping, God chose us. Verse 27. (laughs) If you... If you're starting to feel a little offended by what Paul is saying about you, that means you're understanding him. And that maybe means you need to hear it. God chose us, verse 27, what is foolish in the world, he did this to shame the wise and the strong. God intentionally chose you in part because by the world's standard, By the world's standards, there is something, I'll I'll just point at me, there's something in me that is despisable. (laughs) And that's in part why God chose me. We often say that we don't contribute anything to our salvation but but our sin, and that's true, and sin does weird things. Sin does weird things. Sin makes us foolish and weak. And God chose you in part because of how sin had made you foolish and weak. No offense. We're all in this together. Why? why? Why would God do it this way? Why, why, go to all, why all the trouble? Why all the trouble? Verse 29, so that no one, no human flesh may boast in the presence of the Lord. So that he would get all the glory for it. All of it. Then verse 30 says a truth that you and I must never forget because we are prone to forget it. Every day. Every day. And the original text of verse 30 simply says this, Of him you are in Christ Jesus. Of him you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, period, Christian, you are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Is that humbling to you? It should be. That's Paul's point. We will talk about in a moment why Paul uses this phrase in Christ Jesus, but the, the point here is this there is no other way than of God that anyone, that you are a Christian, It is not your wisdom. It is not your intellect. It is not your knowledge. It is not your superior ability to reason. It's not the level of spirituality that you achieved. It ain't nothing to do with you. It is entirely of Him. Period. End of sentence for all eternity. This is why we come together every Sunday to praise Him. Because we are only in Christ Jesus. We've only woken up. Past, past the foolishness to see the cross for what it is, power and glory, We've, we only have that ability. We only have the ability to place our faith in him in the first place because of him, because of his amazing grace. Because as we just sang how great he is. He did it all this way. He he chose foolish, implausible means so that no one could claim any credit, so that no one could like sneak in something into their pocket, into, into the whole situation and say, I did this. No, not a wit. Not a wit. In fact, he chose harder cases. <laughs> you and me. I'll go to the head of that line because I know me pretty well. <laughs> he chose you, he gave you the faith, he sanctified you, he opened the eyes of your heart. But as as verse 30 says, he opened the eyes of your heart so that you would see that Jesus Christ crucified is no longer Foolishness it is. He, he himself is the wisdom of God. And all the foolishness of the cross, that foolishness is grossly, infinitely superior and supreme over all human wisdom. Because what human being could see that coming? What human being could design what God designed on the cross? To wipe away all of your sins, first off, and then to make you stand righteous before God. It says here that he is our wisdom and he is our righteousness. To make you stand Christian before God, just as righteous as Jesus. And tomorrow too. And the day after that. And forever and ever and ever. What human being could think up of such a thing? God is far, far better than any God human beings have ever designed for ourselves. No one is smart enough to think of this. This foolish, foolish way that he's brought about such wise glory. Glory. So we are righteous and we are sanctified. Jesus is our sanctification, Paul says. He is our righteousness. He, he lived a perfectly righteous life for us so that we could stand before God perfectly righteous forever and ever and ever, amen. And all of that was sealed by the resurrection. And he is our sanctification he is our sanctification. We, we will continue to grow and become who we are until the day that we are glorified and we rise and we are finally, he is our redemption. We will be redeemed. Jesus will descend in the air and he will look down to the dust and he will say, he will command the dust itself, release and rise and we will rise from the dust and we will be redeemed forever to be with him forever and ever and ever, world without end, amen. So why, why why go to all the trouble? So that Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 will be fulfilled. Let the one who boasts boast in nothing but nothing, not, not their awesome theology, not their superior wisdom, not their pure knowledge, nothing but the Lord Jesus. God gets all the glory and we get... Uh, mind blowing good forever and ever, so this is all some heady theology if you if you feel some wooziness in your head, that's called cognitive dissonance it's a good it's a good thing you're already sitting down that's all right um, watch your head watch your head because the the good news is that the, the application of this theology is much, much simpler than the, than the theology itself. The application is this, don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> I hope I don't have to say that. Don't think too highly of yourself. Yes, we are supposed to learn more and more about God, so that's called theology, and we all have theology that we're doing life with. Did you know that? Whether you or not you realize that, you are working off of a theology. The goal is to get more of it and have it to, to be more clear and accurate again over time, so there's nothing wrong with theology. But he, here's our problem. and here's a handy chart. I think, if I did this right, no, no, no. go back. Go back. Go no, no, go to the next one. Go to the next one. Yeah, there, there he goes. OK. I guess they got out of order. That's you. Um, in all your glory. So, so go back to the, the... There you go. Okay. So we do um, w- this, this increasing line here. This is the, the increase of our knowledge. Um, we should be increasing in the knowledge of God, but knowledge by itself does this. Sh- show the one where it shows the, the man getting bigger and bigger. Show that one. So this is what happens when there is only the knowledge of God. When we're only growing in our theology alone, who becomes bigger in that? We do. We knowledge puffs up. So so we we grow. We we should grow in the knowledge of God. But when it is by itself, it only man becomes bigger. And so this is where you get people who say, "Oh well, I'll I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I." I follow Jesus. Okay, so um, h- how do we get out of this? Well, the, the key is, show the one with the line going down now. Yeah. So as we grow in the knowledge of God, what should happen is that our esteem of ourselves goes down. Goes down. So you, you see this with Paul. Early on in his life, at the end of this letter, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 9, Paul will say, Paul will describe himself as the least of all the apostles. Least of the apostles. Then later in his life, after some time has passed, he will write in Ephesians. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 8, he will describe himself now as what? The very least of all the saints. Hmm. Then at the end of his life in First Peter, I believe or excuse me, First Timothy, I believe it's in chapter one, verse, is it fifteen? Yeah. Look how he describes himself now. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. What's happening with Paul? Go back to that chart, Mike. This is what's happening. As he learns more and more of the knowledge of God, he is going down, his esteem of himself, he is becoming more and more humble. So the question is, how? How does this work? How does this work? And the only way that this works, show the one with the cross. The only way is as, as we comprehend more and more clearly What is at the very center of everything? Christ in Him crucified. As we grow in knowledge and our esteem of ourselves drops, here's what happens. Uh, The the bloated pride fat (laughs) of our sinful nature gets cut away and only then, as we know more about God and ourselves recede into the background, only then can we see what is truly the wisdom of God at the center of it all, Christ and Him crucified. I got that from my wife, by the way. Um, So here's the point. Here's the point. And we, we must get this. Only by increasing in the knowledge of God while decreasing in the sense of self can we see more and more clearly what is the wisdom of God. Amen. Because the wisdom of God cannot be seen by means of the wisdom and knowledge of men, and it cannot be seen past the bloated pride of men. And this is why, is the cross becomes bigger and bigger that Paul's vision of Christ and him crucified only moved him closer and closer to other people, to other people, because he wanted them to see and to know and rejoice in the increasing vision of what he was coming to see and enjoy and rejoice in. It didn't separate him. It didn't separate him from others. Oh, it drew him together such that the older he gets, the longer the lists are of people he wants to say hi to in all these various cities. It moved him to people, not dividing from people. Theology did not divide Paul from people because his vision of Christ and him crucified moved him towards people that they would share in that joy with him. Okay, so why do, we, wh- why do we compare ourselves to each other, trying to one-up each other and separate from each other? Um, why, why, why do we do this? Well, it is, as I've said, because we don't have a growing vision of Christ and Him crucified. But then, even if we do, it, it is often because we do not embrace what the foolishness of God means for our identity our personal identity, and the identity of others. Um, If you you only live here, and many people do, many people only live here, and their esteem of themselves goes down, 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 this breeds a deep insecurity, a deep insecurity. And we become competitive with each other, comparing ourselves to one another, one-upping one another. And the, the good news is the slight good news is that the disciples struggled with this too. Do you remember what Peter said to Jesus right after he was reinstated by Jesus, after he'd betrayed Jesus, and Jesus told him how he was going to die? Remember the first thing Peter said? He looked at John and said, what about him? (laughs) It's like, that's so human. Um, It's like, thank you, Peter. I'm not the only ones. Even even Peter lived with this this sidelong glance that we're all born making to to one another. Oh, which is death to unity. So the the only way out of this this ugly life where we're constantly making comparisons and living with the sidelong glance, living essentially by envy, is to embrace all that Christ is for you and to embrace what that means for your identity. So, back to verse 30, who is Christ for you if you've trusted in him and become in him? Who is he for you? He is wisdom from God that is superior to any human wisdom. So, if you are in Christ, you you have the wisdom of the ages. There is a sense in which you are wiser than anyone. The, 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 there's, no, there's no question anymore. You, you are not wise. But you are in Christ, who is the wisdom of the ages. How much wiser could you get? And how much wiser could the person next to you get? The question is dealt with. Who's wiser? Jesus. <laughs> and we're all in him. We're all in him. He is your righteousness. So that in him now, you stand before God... Perfectly accepted, not on how awesome your smarts are about Jesus, not how awesome your theology is, but on Jesus' performance for you in his life in your place. You stand approved. The smile of God is upon you, no matter what else you perform for him in the rest of your life. You're good. Jed, I'm preaching to myself, you're good. Sanctification, Jesus is the singular son of God, so now you are welcomed into, think about this, imagine this, you are welcomed into the family of God as if you were the firstborn son himself. Have a seat at the table, my child. Here's your chair. And by the way, I'm well pleased with you. Just like in Jesus' baptism. That's true about you. Are <laughs> I mean, you really? Like, isn't that something? Like and no one can take it away from you, and and you can't take it away from you. You can't muck your way out of that. As hard as you might try. Can't do it. Sorry, God's love is too strong for you. <laughs> Redemption. Redemption. One day when Jesus returns, he's going to return for you. For you by name. He's going to be looking for you when you meet him in the air. <laughs> you. You'll live with him forever. Of him, of him, of him, of him, of him, you are wise. You are righteous. You are sanctified. You are redeemed. That's you, Christian. That's you. One of, the, one of the greatest problems we have, one of the greatest sources of our insecurity that we, which then causes the sidelong glance and the competition and the one-upping and all this stuff is that we have what, what Paul Tripp once called gospel amnesia. Annie, I think Annie talked about this at the women's retreat. Gospel amnesia. We forget all that Christ is for us and then we forget who we actually are in Christ. And when you live out of that false identity, all sorts of things go haywire. So, yeah, as we said last week, you're worse off than you thought. You're, you're worse than you thought. And you are blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Both are true. Our knowledge of God cannot go high enough. Our knowledge of ourselves cannot go low enough. And yet in Christ, we have more than enough. In Christ crucified, we may leave ourselves and yet at the same time find ourselves. In Christ crucified, we rise from the depths of the earth where we belong to the very throne room of heaven where only Christ really belongs. In Christ crucified, we become less, he becomes greater, and we gain everything. In Christ crucified, we leave our alienation from God and come into the very presence of God so that we can only boast. We can only boast in that moment, in that place, about Christ crucified, crucified for me. So we must preach this news to ourselves every day. Be foolish. Proclaim the message of the cross to yourself. Proclaim Christ crucified to yourself every day day because this is who you are this is your new identity and only then only then will our insecurities be be replaced be be pushed out and the, the 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 pride of all of our self-regard will be will be pushed out of us and replaced with a self-forgetting love and a and a holy desire for personal sacrifice and a and a we might even say almost, almost a, a holy, pure lust. I don't know what the word would be for positive lust, but a, but a lust that, that, that all of God's people would be united together, that we would say the same thing. Only then will our rivalries be replaced with a, a self-forgetting desire that those rivalries be, uh, be cured with a humble unity. Only then, only then, only at that point, as we find ourselves in Christ, in Him crucified, only then will we be free, free from ourselves to then even start the race that is the hard work of achieving the unity that Paul commanded us in verse 10. We're not even up to that starting line. So church, the, the race is only starting. We have to get dressed and we have to get to the starting line and that means shedding our old clothing of pride and finding ourselves afresh, finding our identities afresh every day at the foot of the cross. Leaving ourselves behind and by leaving ourselves behind, finding more than we could possibly imagine in Christ. So let me, let me pray now. I, I need to pray for myself in this. You need to pray for you, and we all need to pray for each other. So let's pray. Father, I want to, I want to go first and confess my own amnesia, how, how easy it is for me to forget who I am because of all that you are for me, Lord Jesus. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for forgetting that's not a neutral thing. It is a sin to forget such a such a glorious gift that we've received in you. Please forgive me. Please forgive us. Please grant us now to grant us faith faith that we would hear ourselves preaching to ourselves that we would hear that and that we would believe it that we would believe who we are in you. And you crucified for us, risen for us, reigning for us, and soon to return for us. Let us boast, but let us boast about nothing but you and you crucified. Praise your name, praise your name. You are infinitely better than any savior we could have scripted for ourselves. All the glory and all the praise goes to you, our God and our Savior. Thank you. Amen.